to uh, week seven of our Epic podcast here. We are back with Brian again, so thank you for filling in while Josh is gone. I still feel like sometimes I don't feel like I should be old enough to sit at the table with you. I'm used to be like you being up on the stage and me, me listening, but um, we enjoyed having you here last week. It was fun. So it was a good time. Excited yep. to keep going. And Paul's back from vacation, refreshed and, and ready to impart some wisdom on us yeah. as well. So <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> no pressure. We're we're all waiting here. I can't say like Brian's one of those people that I typically always seem to remember like one piece of information from like every talk every conversation we have and sometimes they've been things like um he was the first to tell me that i was officially old because i was married and had two kids and sure. he said even though i feel like i still like i'm in high school nobody in high school actually agrees with that right. so right. i'm excited to, to keep to continue keep, keep, keep going yeah. on this on this keep with you all right brian so if you want to kind of bring us up to speed where are we at here in epic so um if this is your first time listening, the idea is that we've just been following and studying the journey of the Israelites um, since the Exodus um, in the Old Testament. And so we've moved our ways through um, the leadership there. Um, we've been focused on individuals like Joshua. Last week we talked about Gideon. Um, and so this week we're going to be talking about the transition between uh, the Israelites having judges in place, if I'm saying that properly, historically speaking, um, and the Israelites now at this point in their history are asking for a king. We want a king. We want someone to lead us who is the official titled king. And so in the book of Samuel, we see where Samuel, who is speaking for the Lord, um, he has found Saul and uh, God has anointed and appointed Saul to be the king of Israel. Um, but Saul isn't doing things the way that God has asked him to. He's not faithful to God. And so God basically says, this is not my man. I'm rejecting him. And so send Samuel out to go seek for another king, a worthy king. And so that is the story we're looking at today. And it introduces us to the character of David and the process by which Samuel goes and looks and finds um, and listens to God talking to him and finding David. That's where we're at right now. Yeah. So, yeah, we're in 1 Samuel 16 is the passage, and it, it is this epic series is weaving through a lot of different characters, and you know, Joshua and Gideon and, and, and Samuel, and all of them have such unique backgrounds. I, I think before we even get into the story, there's this, this understanding that, that God uses all sorts of different people. He can use Joshua, who's gung-ho, and he can use Gideon, who's hiding in a hole. Right. Uh, so if, if you feel like you're excluded for some reason, the, the, the breadth of this story and, and the breadth of God's involvement in people in this story is astounding. And so uh, we, we come to David, and, and Saul had been a king that had been anointed and accepted by the people. He looked like a king, but he didn't act like God's king. And so because of that, God rejected him as king, and he sent Samuel in search uh, to anoint uh, this, this young uh, David, uh, who, who becomes a, such a significant part of the story. Uh, it's interesting when, when Samuel gets to the town, uh, the people are concerned. <laughs> so I guess Samuel is some sort of authority figure and they're concerned why Samuel is there, right. if he's coming in peace or if he's come as, as judge or in judgment, because Samuel operates as a judge mm -hmm. and as a, a prophet. And he says, oh, I've just come to offer sacrifice. And so he, he meets with Jesse, who is uh, David's father, who is uh, the grandson of Ruth, who is, I believe, the great grandson of Rahab, the, the prostitute. So all these stories are, are weaving together. And he meets with Jesse and says, I, I need you to bring your sons in front of me uh, and because I need to anoint them. Uh, he doesn't particularly say in the scripture that he's going to anoint them to be king. 
but there seems to be some understanding that this is something very significant that's going on. Um, you know, I, I, I wonder what Jesse knew. And so Jesse begins to lead his sons in uh, to um, before Samuel. Of course, he starts with the, the first son. and The first son looks like a king. And Samuel immediately says, this is the one. And God says, no, this isn't the one. And in this part of the scripture, God says, man looks on the outside, God looks at the heart. And so uh, Jesse brings the rest of his sons in and, and none of them are, are qualified or none of them, God reveals that none of them are meant to be anointed as king. And so Samuel asked Jesse, is there, is there another son? And, and there's one more son and he's in the fields watching the sheep and it's David. And he brings David in. The scripture says he's ruddy or he's handsome. And, and Samuel anoints him as the next king. And the spirit of God falls mightily upon him. And so that's where we, we're at in the story. All right. So I feel like this always gives us a chance to be like, okay, the sermon you didn't get a chance to preach or the things we didn't get a chance to talk about on Sunday. And I find it so interesting right at the beginning. And, you know, you didn't read the scripture, but like they say that Samuel at this point is mourning Saul. Like when God speaks to him and tells him like, hey, something new is happening, fill your oil. He's he's mourning um, Saul's loss of, of his kingship, in effect, his rejection of God. And um, that kind of me thinking about the times that I've mourned seasons in my life that have ended where um, Samuel was following God's direction in anointing Saul. He, so like there's been times when I know that God has led me to a certain thing, but then the doors have closed in that season and it's hard. Hmm. And so I just, um, I don't know. I thought this was a great time to talk about like those times when we're mourning something good that ended, but that leaves us in a place where God can awaken us to something new. That's interesting. And, and you know, I was just thinking this week I was out walking and it hit me. If, if I lived 300 years ago, I would be one of those guys that would go west because yeah. I like change. Yeah. You know, I, you know, Terry's kind of like my, she holds me back, but, but I <laughs> like change. Change never affects me in a negative way that when it's a new adventure, I'm like, oh, great, a new adventure. But I don't sense this with Samuel. And, and, and maybe it's, um, you know, you think of a prophet, uh, this, this prophet had said, this is God's king right. and he had failed. And so to a certain extent, for him to say Samuel had failed is to say I failed. Right? Mm -hmm. um, right. uh, or Saul's failure right. was Samuel's so, failure. Right. So, so it is interesting. Yeah, he, he, he's not liking this new season. Uh, and, and I wonder why. Yeah, I feel like most recently one of those seasons that ended for me was my, um, when I worked at ECOT. And like mm. when my school just like closed <clears throat> out from underneath me. And in that, there was very much that almost like that sense of feeling lost in that like I felt that God had led me to that job. That job was such a great fit for our family. It was just, it was everything that I wanted to do. And then just for that to just go away mm -hmm. was just really hard to then sit there and go, well, like now I'm, I don't know what, what is next. And I remember that verse that kept coming to mind is that Isaiah 43, 19. It's like, I'm doing something new. Like, don't you perceive it? Don't you notice it? And I'm like, well, no, right. <laughs> no, I actually don't. Not I don't, <laughs> I don't know exactly what's new here yet. Right. And I sat there for a couple of months, truly, until I did start to feel a, a drawing, a stirring into something new. Are you a change adverse person or are you a change like person? Mm, both. I get excited by change. And so like, I feel like Ryan's always the one, yes, yeah, sometimes that it's kind of, I feel like I'm like, he's reining me in. He's, a, <laughs> he's more of a realist than I am. But I do feel like in our marriage or in our relationship, I have often been the one to 
perceive a new season first. And I don't know if that's God's way of gently preparing Ryan, because there's times when I'm like, this is going to sound crazy. I kind of feel like this is where we're going next. And sometimes Ryan's flat out like, there's no way. And then six months later, he's like, oh, oh, hey, remember that time? And so I don't know if that's just like an extra gift in our relationship where I am excited by new opportunities. but sometimes I'm like, okay, what's this going to do to poor Ryan? <laughs> <laughs> poor Ryan. Seriously. We feel poor Ryan. What about you, Brian? You a- uh, I'm about half and half. Um, I, I find myself fearing change because of the unknown. Um, but then when, when I get a sense for what the change is going to be, then I feel like I can jump in. Hmm. And so maybe it is a comfort on my terms, which obviously isn't the way God works. Most of the time. He works through our personality. Sure, absolutely. Right. Um, we were even talking before, you know, before we started recording about you were asking me about just history here with the church. Um, you know, went to college to be an educator, but then ended up being a youth pastor and then back to education. But, you know, and, and I can tell you when God made those changes in my life, but I can also tell you that leading into those changes, I was afraid of what was next, if that makes any sense at all. You know, right. so, that doesn't sound familiar no, at all. Not at all. I mean. no, yeah. So, you know, you can see where his hand moved, see where he made, he closed doors and opened mm-hmm. doors. But gosh, in the midst of it, with the uncertainty, you know, there was a lot of fear. So, yeah, yeah that's good. Yeah, that's good. So kind of almost that closed door doesn't take away the way that God was working before. Like, I think that's mm-hmm. just important to see that, like, Samuel was following God and then that door was closed and there was a new way for him, a new path forward. Um, so we see Jesse parading his can best. We, can we go back to that just a second, yeah. though? Mm-hmm. Why do we feel like a change in direction is a failure? I mean, because I think there is a little bit of, oh, well, if this season doesn't continue forever, um, then somehow I fail. I don't, see, I don't see, and, and maybe it's my age, but, but what I found in life is there's many seasons. There, there is just many seasons. And sometimes things just change because that's just the nature of life. Sure. And, and we're, we're so afraid. Maybe we're not afraid. Maybe that's how do we, what do we do with that in the past? Particularly because most of the time when you go into anything, you, you never accomplish everything that you want. Sure. And so then you go into this new thing. And we, I think sometimes we perceive that as failure, but it's just another step on the journey. I think too, it's just, a, I mean, it's a, it's a measure of our human perspective versus God's, which is what you're saying. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I can easily see where Samuel would say, okay, God chose Saul. God's running with that plan. You know, and there's instances, I mean, we say Saul didn't do what God wanted him to, but it wasn't at first. I mean, there's something Saul is acting the word of the Lord out fully. And I can see where Samuel saying, this is good. This is how it's, you know, let's, let's roll with this, this path. Let's roll this step. I'm in the center of God's will. And wants it to stay that way because that's what he's familiar with and what he knows. And that's human, you know. And so then when those things do change, because change is inevitable, you question why it happened. And then you associate guilt or blame or shame on something that you think you've messed up when God in his infinite wisdom moving in a different direction. And it's all relational. It's all relational, right. I mean, he loved Saul. Yes. Mm -hmm. I mean, he you don't mourn for somebody that you don't care about. At at the end of verse 15, right before 16, it says that when God rejected uh, Saul, Samuel never saw or spoke to him again, but yeah. mourned him every time, all the time. Absolutely. Still connected to him, even though he doesn't see him. Right. Yeah. That's a hard part. Yeah. I'm sorry. Mara. No, no, no you're you. fine. You're fine. I think that's, that's good. Um, but so Samuel goes, he's, um, he's, he knows that he's going to be anointing a son of Jesse. So God doesn't give him 
all of the thing. He just gives him enough information to get him going. So Jesse's, I mean, dresses up his best, his best sons. What he perceives is like, okay, well, if it's going to be one of these, these are the ones it's most likely to be. Um, and I love that. He, I mean, he doesn't even bring David in. Like he doesn't even bother to call him in from the field. He's like, well, we're having this really important meeting with a really important person. And he like has effectively disqualified David from even participating. And, um, I feel like it's almost like Jesse's like, okay, well, here's my best plan. Here's my best ideas for, for what the next king should look like. And God like rejects all of all of those best ideas, all of those directions or that little help that Jesse's like, well, if it's going to be one of them, these are the ones I would pick. This is who I pick. And <laughs> I'm like thinking, I'm like, I know there's times when I've kind of given God options yep. for like, hey, if you want to do this, this would be a great way to do it. Or it could really work out this way. And, I like this and, too. and I'm like, this would be my plan. And let me help you understand how I'm seeing this better. Yeah. And I think we can get fixated on on what we think is the best way forward and, and kind of disqualify maybe how God actually wants to move forward. That's good. Yeah, as I was <clears throat> kind of preparing for today, I was looking a little bit of like, historically, what does this mean for Jesse to have brought David in? And I think we have in our minds and our family situations, you know, usually by a certain time in the evening, everybody's in the house and at the house and ready to go to bed. That's not this situation. My understanding is from his, history it, with, with these shepherds, they lived in the fields. Yeah. So David isn't in the house with Jesse and the, his brothers. David doesn't even live in the house with them. He's totally, you know what I mean? Like he's totally separate. It's not like in the evenings we hang out and have a meal. You know, we'll just bring him in from the job. He didn't even bother to bring him in from a long distance away to pull him into the family decision. I'm not even going to present you. You're not even going to be part of the family's presence here in this situation, which I find very, very, very fascinating. You know, it's not a... We live as a family and you go off and do other things. He's not even a part of the family unit at this point in the story. Which and, is And you can imagine that everybody's dressed up. Sure. Oh sure. Everybody's cleaned up. Yep. Everybody's taking a shower. Yep. And then they get this kid that smells like sheep. Yeah. <laughs> that right. come in. Right. <laughs> and right. you know, the, the the feeling of the story is that it's like, okay, well, all these best dressed plans yep. aren't gonna work. I've got to bring in plan seven right <laughs> and, yeah. and he stinks yeah and surely this isn't the plan but i don't have anybody else right to present it's all the kids and so here comes smelly david right. <laughs> you know you can see the, the sheep dudes on him and right. his hair like a mat yep like 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 we look usually in COVID 19 right we're, we're, we're not going right. out you know the COVID 19 haircut right. the hat on and, and that's the one that's oh, it. come yeah. on yeah <laughs> interesting almost like so Jesse had in fact rejected David in, mm -hmm. in some sense, but then to hear like the, the sons that he thought actually were the ones that God rejected for right. that position. Yeah. And um, I think sometimes we, we can read that verse seven where God says, I've rejected him. Like that seems kind of harsh, right? Just, I mean, what, what did this, what did this guy ever do that right. God would literally take one look at him and be like, <laughs> nope. nope. And so then I got to think, I was like, well, is he saying like he rejected him outright? Like, or that he just rejected him from this position. So Jesse's kind of presented these sons and put them up for a position that wasn't going to be right for them. Right? Right. And even, even when he's rejecting Saul, he's rejecting Saul as king, mm -hmm. not right. as person. Right. And, and it's Saul's uh, failure to accept God's shift in direction yeah. that leads to Saul's downfall. Uh, as I perceive the story, Saul could have said, okay, I'm not God's king anymore. Correct. 
I'm going to step back and yep. let God anoint who he wants. But Saul doesn't do that. He, yep. he holds to position. Great. And, and so, yeah, I, I mean, they're, they're, I don't believe God's rejecting them as individuals. Mm-hmm. He's rejecting them uh, for this role, which I, I don't believe they handled too well. I, 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 that's why I think in this story they have an understanding there's something at stake. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, I was kind of keeping in our musical uh, thing that we've been talking about, which I'm like, I don't know if any of us are really qualified to talk about an orchestra. I know I'm not. But I was just thinking about, like, if, if a cellist goes and tries to audition for a trombone player, like, he's going to experience rejection there. Yes. Not rejection as a musician, right. but rejection as a trombone right. player. And I feel like there's times where I know I have, like, experienced rejection. Mm-hmm. Or I've had to sit back and watch another person experience acceptance or, like, and I think that those are oftentimes hard in our lives where we feel like someone else got something that we wanted and it feels like personal rejection when it really was just not, it was not the right fit. It was not the right move. I would even say maybe someone else got a position that I have filled before. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's not something new that we were both competing for, you know, a, a spot on a team or something like that. I've filled that role before. I know that role of leadership. I know that role of being called. And now someone's being called in my place. You know, that's a that's a uniquely bad feeling. <laughs> you know what I mean? That that's yeah. an awkward bad feeling to to wrestle with. And and you know, Pastor, you said multiple times, it's not just once that Saul's given the opportunity to step back and let, you know, let God's will be done. He's got a long period of time, multiple opportunities to say, you know, I know. A couple weeks ago, a couple years ago, I was fighting it. But now I realize, now I realize he sees where God wants to go with the situation and lets the anger and jealousy and those feelings take precedent over what he knows God wants. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I understand feeling someone being called in your place, but I think there's some, there's some room for God to speak to you if you're willing to let him. That, Like you said, it's not a rejection of who you are. It's a seasonal thing. It's something that I I want. I've got a much bigger idea of what needs to happen here, and you aren't the person for that right now. Right, and and, it, and it, there's a big cost to this because when you now we, we were talking about David's brothers. I don't think we talk about David's brothers. We talk about them in the next story, but they don't become hmm. a part of the story. And I think it's I think their attitude leads to that. They, I mm-hmm. think that creates the the rift between them and David. Mm-hmm. And matter of fact, David doesn't go back home when he's chased by Saul. He ends up in Philistine. And so, you know, it makes me wonder if there's not some issues with family life uh, that, that makes it possible. But when you talk about Saul, you, you directly see the impact that his failure to accept his place in God's will, mm-hmm. what it does, because it not only cost him his life, but it cost his son his life. Oh, yeah, And, absolutely. you know, and so, you know, then you end up with just this one guy, right. uh, Mephibosheth, later on, and, and even his life is affected by the injuries right. and all the turmoil. Yeah. And so, when, you know, there, there's a lot of conflict that we see in, in the church and in life and in families where people just can't fill the role that God's called them to fulfill. Mm-hmm. As a matter of, I mean, I think James talks about what's the cause of conflicts. It's the quarrels you have oh, with one another. Yeah. And it's, you know, and so there, there's, there is this God's inviting them to rest just in his will. And if they can rest in his will, uh, there's there's peace and there's um, uh, just, just a, uh, you don't have to live through all the conflict, I guess is what I'm trying to say, even though there's always stress in every. Well, and I think too, 
the conflict that you have with having been purposed by God and in, in being replaced, feeling unpurposed, <laughs> it isn't a taking away of your purpose. It's a redefining of it. Yeah. Right. And so when you come to understand that, you don't see with jealousy or with frustration that something's been taken away from me. Something's been given to someone else for you to receive something else. Yeah. Uh, it, it'd be interesting to me, you know, the what if ideas. What if Saul had accepted? What happens to Saul then if he'd accepted God's will? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, we did, all the bad things that happened, but didn't mean he couldn't be used. Didn't mean he couldn't be open to what God wanted him to do, but we never get to see that. And like you said, all the bad things that come from his inability to roll with what God wants. I think it's been really unique and interesting for me as I've moved into a leadership position here and working in our children's department to understand more fully and grasp the legacy Mm -hmm. of children's leaders and directors and people that have been before me Mm -hmm. that are still part of our church. I think that that's been such an interesting and an encouragement to me that it would have been really easy for any of those people who have led in the past to have then said, well, wait, I think you should do it this way because when I did it, this is how I did it. And this would have been the right thing to do moving forward. And that has not been my experience at all. Like, and, but I know that you, you Mm -hmm. were in leadership here and for Mm -hmm. you to still have your family here and to be pouring in and encouraging the people that came after you. Like, I think that's such a, a valuable thing to be willing to continue to invest as you've been called out of something and called into something new to recognize God's calling in other people's life and, and to be affirming that. That's good. Now, and I, the, the brothers, it's, it's interesting. We'll turn the page and talk about David and Goliath uh, this week and, and our Sunday morning. But, but the brothers are all over David. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. What are you doing? Get right. back to the field with your sheep. Yep. You know, he's just a glory on. hound. Right. And, and uh, so, so I, I get the feeling they don't receive mm-hmm. David very well after this. And, I think they probably seem more a self-promoter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's that's what we sometimes do when, when we justify somebody's um, favorable position mm-hmm. is a self-promoter. Right. And, uh, he wasn't self-promoter. He's just a man after God's own heart. He was right. just doing what he was called to do. Absolutely. Okay, because so I feel like the last thing like, really we probably can spend the rest of our time talking about is this idea about Samuel seeing what he thought were really good ideas, really good examples of what a king could look like. And and God telling him to not focus so much on what you're seeing, mm-hmm. because that's that's how men see. Men look at the outward appearance, but I, like the Lord, I look at a person's heart. And I mean, I know we probably don't have anywhere t- near enough time that we could really talk about really what that means. Like, so when we look at somebody's outside and feel like that tells us about what their inside is. We are doing that person truly a, a big disservice, whether we think good things about them by how they look or bad things about how they look. Right. We are, we're making a judgment. We are showing um, favoritism or partiality. I was thinking a couple of years ago when Jeremiah Bullock was here, he was talking about James and that idea of, of favoritism and mm-hmm. this idea that even in the early church, they struggled with, oh, somebody comes in in nice clothes and you set them here right. and somebody comes in in rags and you put them here. And just that in the church, there there is no place for for prejudice. There right. is no place for those kinds of biases. Um, but I think oftentimes we think that they're we, we say that they're unconscious. We don't even know we have them. How do we how do we learn that we have these kinds of, of biases? These kinds of things that would cause us to 
focus too much on an outward appearance. I think we need to assume we have them right. and work from that assumption. I, I, I referred to Blink and uh, Gladwell. Gladwell, uh, there's, a, there's a Harvard study that is, you know, with just images and words that tries mm -hmm. to determine racial bias. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Gladwell, if you don't know him, he's, he's washed and posed, he's yeah. progressive, liberal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he said he took this test and thought, no way. And he comes out um, at least mildly racially biased mm -hmm. and the crazy thing is gladwell is half jamaican <laughs> he, he's 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 half that. black yeah. and, right. and so and yeah he's still, and, and, he, and then he'd take the test again okay i'm going to pay more and still right. and so there, there is we cannot deny right. that there is a cultural bias that infects us and so we we have to be conscious of that and work against that um i i, I think that's the first step is okay i'm not going to assume that I'm, that I'm pure in this, True. That, that there's some level of this in me and, and, and I'm going to work against it. Great. I, something that comes to my mind too is I think we need to recognize that we pick up on some biases based upon God's appointment prior to the change. Hmm. I, part of me wonders, is Samuel just looking for Saul 2.0? You know, I mean, because Saul had such a physical, I mean, and he was God's choice. You know, we've said this multiple times. I mean, had, you know, head, stood head and shoulders above others, had a kingly appearance. So maybe Samuel's thinking, God, that's what you chose first. So I'll help you in picking the same type of, you know, person next again. And not necessarily wrong for looking at those things. But if we recognize that God's plan being so much bigger than ours isn't going to be the same way it was before and we're open to other options, then we see. Then we we take away those biases that could be there, based upon just what happened the first go around. Right. You know, and 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 I don't think Samuel was purposely trying to, trying to impose his own opinion of of who the person should be. In as much as he's saying, well, that was the blueprint before, and here's one very similar. Is that what you want? Is that what you want to go with? Nope, not at all. You know, God has significantly different plans. I was just thinking about it. And some judgments are right. So right. Sub, our subconscious works to help us. Sure. To sure. Too. sure. And so, you know, that, you know, we have to be aware of that, but we have to be conscious of it. Right. Now, I'm just thinking, stupid things pop in your mind. I was watching Andy Griffith the other day where a guy was getting out of jail and he was coming to see Andy to give him a shotgun. Oh, yeah. So Gomer and Barney's looking yep. through the window at this guy with a gun. Yep. Well, you know, reasonably, right. their subconscious should be saying, this isn't yep. right. Coming at night with a gun. But yeah. you need to listen. Yep. You need to pay closer attention to the circumstances sure. than that. That's a good episode. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's a good episode. I know that one. <laughs> yeah. No, that's yeah. true. That's true because we think about like the way our, our brains work, like that, that is a, a gift from God. Like mm -hmm. he's designed our brains to take together information and to use it to make decisions. But I, I agree. I think we need to understand and assume that there are going to be times that we are going to do that incorrectly. And mm -hmm. I think it's like, well, how do we move? How do we move forward in that? Or how do we identify the times when we're more likely to make mm -hmm. an incorrect right. judgment, mm -hmm. an incorrect assumption? I was listening to a podcast. It was really interesting. It was talking about people that often get on public platforms and they talk against prejudice. They talk against social injustice. He's like, but oftentimes they haven't done any introspective sure. work 
in their own lives. And he's like, and so um, a display like that, he's like, it's going to be shallow. And I thought it was really interesting. He said, it's going to be prideful. Mm -hmm. And I thought that word prideful was so interesting because it basically was coming from this perspective that I don't have anything in my life that I need to fix and everybody else does. You could just do it this way. And so, yeah, I think I've got how to fix this. I think Mm -hmm. I know the right thing to do. And I just thought that was so interesting um, that we all, we do have those those things. It would be like going out in a rainstorm and expecting not to get wet. I mean, right. we, our culture grooms us. Our culture affects us to to think certain things about certain groups of people. And yeah. I don't think there's any way to really escape that, but there is a way to, to maybe fight it and to, um, to live our faith more authentically in that. I, I think our nature is to see shallow, mm-hmm. that we have to work against the shallow. Um, I, I, in Jesus here, we talked about Jesus saw people as complex math, not simple math. Right. We tend to see, okay, well, they've got this, they've got this, and, and this is in their life, so this is who they are. Right. Jesus didn't see people like that. And, and I think, you know, the one thing that we do with Jesus is we make Jesus so super spiritual, supernatural. We, make, we elevate Jesus to this level of God where he just sees inside people. Yeah. And, and, and that's our out. So right. since we don't have that sensitivity, right. because, yeah. but I don't think that's the case at all. I, I think Jesus was fully human and he knew people because he listened, right. that he really, really listened to people. And, and he, he, when he saw, you know, when he saw the Samaritan woman, he didn't start with his, um, with these biases, right. but he genuinely listened to her and listened to what people were mm-hmm. saying around her. And, and, and because of his listening, he had a, a an ability to go deep, um, and, and I think that that makes it less. Um, well, I'm going to have this super spiritual discernment, right. but I'm just going to take because everybody can listen, <laughs> right? Yeah, right. Um, and, and listen in a way that was effective for her. He could have come out guns blazing about what was wrong and would have been right in what he was saying and assessing the situation. But he wanted to get her to that, and so you know that's to me that there's that's a skill that's a like you said, which we can develop, but it's it's not easy and it's definitely not knee jerk. You've got to slow down. You've got to take time. You've got to pay attention. Right. You know, and it's it's not going to happen just by a glance or like you said, that's superhuman. He couldn't see and maybe he could have, but he chose not to. He worked in a much more effective, slower, patient way with her and got her to the conclusion that he wanted her to get to. I think there's some people that talk about when you're having a conversation with somebody, there's just this ideal of, okay, there's something really interesting about them mm-hmm. that I need to find out. That, that Jesus almost operated with, yep. and, that, and that's more of a modern thing. I'm, I'm going to have a conversation with this person, and I know there's something I'm going to learn about them that's going to astound me. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I like that. That's so cool. Yeah, because I think it does. It It just means we have to change the way we see people. Mm-hmm. I mean, because, yeah, that woman at the well, like, he could have easily thought any number of things about her. Like, she sure. deserved where she's at. She deserves she has to come in the middle of the mm-hmm. day whenever, like, all of these things, and she, I think, even was one that was talking like, well, how, like, why are you talking to me? Like, right. I feel like there's lots of times when people, they am. would yeah. almost put out like, you should have this prejudice against yep. me, but that's never the way that he led. And so I think when we talk about what our call is, I mean, we're talking about loving God and loving other people. If the way that I see someone changes the way I would treat that person, mm-hmm. then I am the one deciding how worthy they are of experiencing God's love through me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I th- I think that that is really, I mean, it's really challenging to live your life in every moment going, I don't get to decide how worthy that person is of experiencing the love that I've experienced. Right. And we, we are the ones, we are the vehicles for showing that love, for showing that care, showing right. that compassion. 
And I think we need to unpack, I mean, this is, you know, this is relevant when you're meeting the stranger. This affects our relationships, our closest relationships, yeah. because oftentimes our closest relationships are clouded by the last conflict. And so, you know, we're thinking we're, we're already prejudging sure. what's being said and, and maybe accurately so, but that prejudgment yep. causes us to act um, not in a, um, an organic, natural right. way uh, right. in response to the conversation. Right. So even our home, I mean, it's, it's easy to talk about prejudging um, and, and, and the evil of that, the wrong of that, and, and just with strangers and on the street. Uh, but I believe this happens even in homes. Oh, yeah. and, and sometimes the conflict in our homes is more based on the prejudice that we have oh, sure. in, 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 in that close sense right. uh, than, than other kind of prejudices. Absolutely. Yeah. No, and I think it happens in even closer relationships, mm-hmm. too. We we live in a culture where, like, there's lots of people, many of us, that live such, I would call, like, a public life. We have right. these platforms where we, yep. we share about ourselves. And so then the people that are consuming that are, in effect, forming this view on yep. this person. And, I mean, I've had people say something before. I didn't want to tell you because I knew what you would say. Yeah. And I feel like that's right. such yeah. a, like, almost like just such a hurtful thing to say to yeah. someone because you are taking away in the equation the love that I had for you and that you might think that that was what I was going to say, but mm-hmm. you have no way of, of knowing that. Or I might say, oh, based on what I saw you post, I know how you're going to respond to this. Right. But if, I, I don't know. I just I see that as such a, a cop-out for, for having a real authentic relationship sometimes when we just say, well, I didn't want to talk to you about it because I knew how you felt. You're closing yourself off to future opportunities based upon what may or may not be true information right. about past experiences. Yeah. They, one doesn't equal the other. You right. know, They certainly don't. Yeah. Yeah. And this is a podcast for a church. And right. so let, let's talk about the <laughs> elephant in the room. In churches, we prejudge each other. Yeah. That, oh, that's such and such, and right. they always, or that's how they, or that. And, 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 and that is, um, that stifles the spirit. It right. stifles relationships. It stifles the kingdom when, when we think like that. Yeah. But but I've been around the church long enough it's, to know that's exactly yeah. how we even I think at times. Well, sure. that person, yeah, and they're they're in this box. We've got to recognize that the deeper relationship, or the more we know someone, the more. Go back to prejudice. Yeah, we build up what we think is a database or a knowledge of who they are and how they operate, which totally shuts out any opportunity for God to have any movement whatsoever, if that's what you think you already know. So so how rigid your prejudices are uh, prevents God from moving creatively in that relationship. I I think especially if if I'm shutting down, if I've already have a preconceived notion of how I'm going to look at them, where's the room for God to come in and change my view? Mm-hmm. You know, regardless, and and, and the, like the, you said in our homes, the deeper the relationship, I, I know Holly better than any other human being on the face of this earth, but I can't tell you how many times I say, I know how she's going to react to this because of, I know how she's going to, you know, or even something's going on and she's had a bad day, but I think she's mad at me, you know, because of the set of her shoulders, you know, you know what I'm saying? And so I have developed prejudices that if I would listen to what God's saying, he's saying, you're probably wrong because you're never always right. You know, put that aside for a minute and understand that it's something completely different and that I want to work with you in that. Absolutely. And our our prejudices or assumptions, Mm -hmm. it'd be interesting to see if there's any psychological studies on this. I have a feeling there there are. Our prejudices and our assumptions are also guiding Yes, and oh, setting yes. the perimeters oh, yes. of that interaction. Right. So when we go in in that way, yep. we're, we're, we're setting ourselves up for failure if it's a negative prejudice, sure. Sure. Be- because 
that will guide it in that because you're going to hear it in that way. Sure. You're going to have the conversation in that way. And uh, I can ask you what's wrong in multiple ways. You yeah. know, I can ask you what's wrong in a guarded way, thinking I already know what's going to happen. Where I can be completely open to you telling me whatever it is you need to tell me. You're, and, right. And that's just a very small view of that. You know, yeah. Yeah. What's wrong? Uh, don't tell me. You yeah, know? Yeah. Man, no, how, how did we get to David I, to marriage relationships? I was thinking last night Ryan's putting Reed to bed and Reed at one point asked Ryan if he can, can you get out of bed? And I was like, that could be taken two very different ways. Like, one, are you physically able to right, get out right, of the bed? Because right. Ryan, I think we just said he needed him to roll over or something. But also, like, can you get out of bed? Like, can you just get out of here? And I think sometimes when in our prejudice and our, our assumptions, we take out the nuances that happen in a relationship. I, agree. I mean, let's be honest. We are right now facing a situation where everything you say is it's not a stand for something so much as it's also a stand against something and like we are just i I feel like in just a very uncharitable season where we cannot understand or not cannot understand maybe we just won't look for the deeper um, the nuances there and why why someone is experiencing this or why they are feeling this way and maybe instead of just sitting there going i can't believe they think that maybe ask them in a loving way, can you explain this to me more? Because right. it would help me to love you more for me to understand you more. Not by Twitter, no. not by Facebook, nope. not no, by please. texting, not by telephone, no. but by face-to-face conversation, saith right. the Lord. Uh, that, 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 those are terrible right. mediums yes. for emotion. And so much emotion is yep. poured into those mediums. Yep. When you talk about how they guide our actions, but like they are also hereditary. True. So your kids are living in an environment where they're watching how yes. you react, how you talk about people, how you see people. And if if you think they won't inherit that, I think that we're 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 fooling ourselves. Exactly. So yeah. we, um, I want to I want to know that what my kids are getting from me is is going to further their mm-hmm. further their faith, further their walk and not hinder them in those relationships. That's good. Well, I think that's a pretty good conversation. And, uh, why don't you pray us out? Okay. Brian? Sure. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to be together, Lord, to discuss um, far deeper than I think we even expected um, the story of David and his choosing and all the circumstances that um, went into uh, Samuel talking to you and listening to you and hearing you and you moving in uh, that process. Uh, Father, I just pray that you would allow us to take from this story and from the in-depth discussion, um, guidance as to how we need to allow you to speak more to us, how we need to listen to you more, and how we need to rely less on what we think our preconceived notions, prejudices, judgments are about the people in our lives, um, from strangers to our neighbors to the people that we're the closest to. Father, help us to truly, as your word says, not lean on our own understandings, but in all our ways to acknowledge you in every single thought process, to acknowledge that we need your word, we need your guidance, we need your spirit with us to keep us from making mistakes with those, these relationships that we have and to keep us in the center of your will, to be open to what you would do in even the smallest of conversations. Uh, guide us now as we go. Continue to bless our day, Father. In your name we pray and praise you. Amen. Amen. God bless.